Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, May 19th, 2016. No theme today, my apologies. I uh, was striving very hard to get this all into one theme, and I thought, yeah, no, ain't gonna work. That'd be gonna be another one of those oatmeal against the wall episodes. It's gonna be all kinds of nonsense. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. And I mean this, no shortage at all of really crazy, like, bizarre things being said about God and Jesus and things like that. I mean, it's to the point where, like, you know, if you were to have a high school teacher, you know, and you you think by high school, you know, they should have worked this all out. I mean, generally, in order to be a high school teacher, you have to be a college graduate. Yeah, that's generally the case. You know, it it kind of in in academic institutions, the way it works is, is that, you know, somebody has to be, uh, you know, at least ahead of the students that they're teaching academically, be able to demonstrate that. And so if you were to have a high school math teacher, you know, get up and on the board, write 2 plus 2 equals 22. And the students raising their hand, whoa, whoa, wait a sec. Whoa, whoa, no, no, no. 2 plus 2 equals 4. No, it equals 22. And it's like, how do you figure? You know, you got two and you hold up two fingers and you add two more and you hold up two more fingers and then you count it. One, two, three, four. See, four. And and the teacher says, no, look at your hands. You got two and two. That's 22. (laughs) What is wrong with this teacher, right? Well, we have literally people running around the landscape who are pastors and preachers and conference speakers and self-proclaimed prophets and prophetesses saying stuff that is the equivalent of no joke a uh, you know a high school math teacher saying 2 plus 2 equals 22 and you know what happens when that happens people in their churches which are filled to the brim you know by the thousands there's multi-site you know they, these people have multi-site campi and stuff like that and when they stand up and say the biblical equivalent of 2 plus 2 equals 22, which is totally absurd and ridiculous, you know what people say? Oh, yeah. Amen. That, preach it, brother. Oh, yeah. That's the best thing ever. Oh, oh you're you're so awesome. And, and it's like, what has happened here? 
<laughs> Something is really wrong. And I think really, really, really off wrong here. It's um, either God has sent a strong delusion, which, by the way, is prophesied in Scripture, or people have had a spiritual lobotomy. I'm not sure what's going on here, but something is really bad. So what we do is we cover that here at Fighting for the Faith. And we encourage you to listen along with an open Bible. Um, yeah, I don't, I really don't want you to give me the benefit of the doubt. I know that the things I say and the way I say them and the fact that I try to have a little bit of fun and, you know, I laugh at the absurdity of all of this, uh, really gets people upset. I get it. Gets you hot and bothered under the collar and you just want to reach through your computer screen and throttle me. And yeah, I get it. Yeah, no, I understand. And, um, and, you know, I, been there, done that myself. I've had to go through this painful experience too. Um, listen, don't give me the benefit of the doubt. Don't listen with an open mind. Just listen with an open Bible and ask yourself, who's telling me and showing me what Scripture really says? And by the way, it's really not that hard. Uh, you know, I don't go into uber-advanced hermeneutics and things like that. We, for the most part, stick to context, context, context. We pay attention to nouns and verbs and things like that. So grammar matters. Uh, then we use uh, scripture, interpreting scripture. And then, you know, from time to time, we'll get into something more advanced. I do read Greek. I do read uh, biblical Hebrew. You know, from time to time, we will reference those things. But I mean, what we're doing here really is not advanced hermeneutics and, and exegesis. If you have a good education, a high school, I mean, public, high, public, private, that really won't matter. I mean, Follow along. You should be able to determine and check and do the fact-checking to see if, you know, what somebody's saying really does actually square with God's Word. And by the way, it matters. The reason why it matters is because God's Word actually says that it matters. Uh, those who are teachers and preachers in Christ's church, this is not our church, it's His. They do not have the right to teach false doctrine or attribute words and doctrines and teachings to Jesus that he has not taught. And scripture makes it perfectly clear in Titus chapter one that we are to rebuke those who teach false doctrine, that we are there to be silenced. God wills for them to be silenced by those who understand what the truth is. So you know, I understand that this will put me into, you know, again, the mean, you know, hater category, but get past that. Yeah, this is not about hating on people. This is about loving you enough to warn you and tell you the truth. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We are going to begin with a, a Jim Baker show update, although we're going to be listening to Jim Baker's um, you know, <laughs> young team, if you would, um, as they do Revelation Now kind of stuff and give us an interesting thing. Yeah, let me ask you the question, and we'll, and we'll talk about this. They're going to be talking about a prophecy regarding Donald Trump. And uh, biblically, do you know the difference between a true prophecy and a false prophecy? There are a couple of, of uh, actual, you know, in the Bible itself, ways in which we can know definitively whether or not a prophecy is, is true or is false. And uh, one of the ways in which you know somebody is a false prophet and the prophecy is false is if something they said would happen doesn't come true. That makes them a false prophet. Now, even if the prophecy comes true, if the person is teaching false doctrine and pointing you away from the true God, uh, then then that, again, that makes them a false prophet. So 
We're going to take a look at those tests as we listen to Zach Drew uh, discussing for us a prophecy regarding the uh, Donald Trump winning the presidency, but the prophecy he's reading is actually a false prophecy. And it's like he's holding it up literally and saying, this is a, the, the prophets are speaking, Donald Trump will be the next president while reading a literally a factually provable false prophecy. I, it's unbelievable what's going on there. Again, 2 plus 2 equals 22. Then we're going to uh, do a, a vision casting leader update. We're heading over to Tabner Smith's venue church out there in Chattanooga. As he explains to us a direct revelation he received from God regarding those who have a spirit of religion. Um, he uh, will note the fact that there are people out there, and I would say rightly so, pointing out that he's a false teacher. So he, we're going to put it in context. You'll hear part of the teaching that he's giving, and then no sooner does he claim that he's not a false teacher and that those who are hating on him are uh, those who have a demon of, of, of the, a religious spirit demon, he then goes on to teach falsely regarding the Trinity. I am not making this up. It's, uh, it's like, woo, really bizarre. Then we are going to do a little bit of work. Um, there are several... Uh, blog sites, uh, you know, I, I think of Holly Pivik, I think of uh, Church Watch Central, that are covering the fact that in an, uh, you know there was a recent cover story in Christianity Today regarding Bethel Church and Bill Johnson, and Bill Johnson said something that we will that, let's put it this way isn't entirely true. It's as if he's well speaking a half truth, and a half truth is still a whole lie is a good way to put it. So we're going to cover that, and we're going to go back in time and listen to the apostolic alignment and commissioning of Todd Bentley. Mm -hmm. And note who's there, what is said, what is said about them, and uh, and you know, and what they say. I mean, you think, what are you talking about? Yeah, it all makes sense as we get there. And then in hour number two, we're going to head back down to the Presence Conference uh, and we're going to listen to Jay John as he uh, he was given the task of preaching an evangelistic sermon, why people should become Christians. And we will note kind of a, an interesting phenomena, and that is if somebody has skill in their oratory delivery, is able to make folks laugh. Um, it really doesn't matter if what they're saying isn't really all that accurate. The important thing is the entertainment value of what he said. And so, unfortunately, as we listen to this evangelistic sermon, uh, you know, he was given the task of, you know, they and then you know down there in, in in Australia, what they did for the presence conference, you know, really telling people this is the night to bring your unsaved friends so that they can hear the gospel, so that they can become Christians. And so we're going to listen to it, and you will hear some things that are that are good, some things that are truthy, some things that are mm, yeah, not so good, and all given with like an, like an, an amazing delivery. I mean, if if all we were doing was giving style points, I mean, he I mean, a perfect ten style points, theological accuracy. Um, and true evangelistic sermon calling people to repent and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? Yeah, I don't think he got a 10 on that. So we're going to take a look 
at uh, J. John's evangelistic sermon and note his superior oratory skills while also noting where he really seriously fell short in his sermon. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And since we're going to begin with kind of a you know, revelation now, you know, end of the world type of stuff, well, that requires us to do this. Listen to Third Eagle's tune, doom and gloom, God is telling us the end is coming soon, very soon, you'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon, doom and gloom, very soon, rapture comes at night or noon, doom and gloom, very soon, if you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom, all right, so we're heading over to uh, Jim Baker's studios over there at Grace Street in uh, in Missouri as we listen to Zach Drew and uh, Sasha Voles and Andrew Bellers as they explain to us this amazing prophecy regarding, well, Donald Trump becoming president. But the problem is the prophecy they're reading is already biblically provable to be a false prophecy. Yeah, I know. I yeah, two plus two equals twenty-two. I'm telling you, two. You, you just hold two fingers up in one hand, hold two fingers up on the other hand. What does that equal? Twenty-two. <laughs> Here's Zach Drew, Sasha Voles, and Andrew Bellers to explain. Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Revelation in the News. I'm your host, Zach Drew. I'm your host, Sasha Bowles. And I'm Andrew Bellers. Will Donald Trump be the next president of the United States? Maybe I have no idea. Don't know. God hasn't told me. But the question is, will it be by chance or will it be by the, the devil's schemes or will it be by divine Providence. Mm. According to Mark Taylor. Mark Taylor. So note that name, Mark Taylor. Recently interviewed by our friend Rick Wiles at True News, Donald J. Trump will be ushered into the White House by no other hand than the hand of the Almighty. Mm. Now, this might seem like a crazy prophecy we're going to be reading today. No, actually, it seems like one that if you knew your Bible, you would reject out of hand as being a false prophecy. Prophecy. Let me explain by uh, having you turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we will begin with uh, verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak. Yeah, that's right. God himself warns us of people who will presumptuously and falsely stand up and say, I have heard from God, thus saith the Lord, X, Y, and Z, right? So, you know, so there's going to be people, there's prophets that are running around the landscape. And so how can we know that, you know, that they have not heard from God? So let me read again, verse 20, chapter 18, book of Deuteronomy. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, mm-hmm, 
that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Idolatry, false doctrine. Yeah, you know you got a false prophet there. And here's what God says, verse 21. So if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? God says, good question. Here's the answer. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. In other words, arrest him and have him put to death. Yeah, that's right. In the Old Covenant, as part of their civil law, somebody who would speak presumptuously in the name of the Lord, when the Lord had not spoken to that person, the penalty was death. Yeah, that's right. It was a capital crime to say, thus saith the Lord, when the Lord hath not thus saith. So here we've got just a clear, straight up, Word from God. How do you know something is not from God? All right, the guy says this is going to happen. Then the date or the thing shows up and it doesn't happen. That means that prophet was speaking presumptuously. They are a false prophet. Basic, right? Okay, so let's go back to the Jim Baker show and revelation in the news now and see what they have to say. All right, we continue. It makes some people angry and... I haven't been taking this prophecy lightly. Andrew, we get prophecies all the time. Every week that people have heard from the Lord that, you know, the Holy Spirit has just been resting on them, that Ted Cruz was supposed to be president or Donald Trump or even Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton. Well, anybody saying that God told them that Ted Cruz was going to be president this time around, um, well, that would make them what? According to Deuteronomy 18, a false prophet. But we're talking about this prophecy today because the word given to mark taylor wasn't given recently it was a word given to him in 2011 Uh uh-huh so mark taylor claims he received a prophecy from the lord in 2011 that would mean that it was pertaining to the 2012 uh uh-huh the 2012 presidential election donald trump being the president of the United States. Now, he had originally anticipated, he thought that it was going to, it was a concern in the 2012 elections. Isn't right. that right? Yeah, and that happens a lot. Um, with No, 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 no. See, why would he think it was for the 2012 elections? Because the prophecy itself was given in 2011 pertaining to the 2012 elections. So, notice what Zach Drew is doing here with Andrew Bellers. You know, well, you know, he jumped the gun a little. <laughs> you know, we get this is a common practice. You know, prophets they get words from God, and it's you know, and well, it it seems like they're going to come soon, sooner. You know, listen to this explanation here. See, where you get a prophecy, and well, not me personally, but you know, we we've had prophets on the show where they said I've received a prophecy, and I thought it was going to happen way earlier. Even Pastor Jim has said that word. He received a word from God. He thought it was going to happen earlier than it did, um, because the word is so. Early. Oh, yeah. So that's the reason why this um, prophecy, well, didn't come true because, well, the word sounded so urgent. Well, let's we'll hear the details of the prophecy. But uh, that is what sets this apart from the other prophetic words that we've received uh, regarding presidents is that we got this five years ago. That's right. And it was pertaining to the 2012 election. 
it's already been factually proven to be a false prophecy as you know as per Deuteronomy 18 it says you know that's when this man Mark Taylor received this was 5 years before uh Donald Trump even announced his his running yeah, and that's the amazing part because of the fact that this was so long ago. This was before Donald Trump was all in the news about the presidency. This was before. You are aware that uh, Donald Trump actually had a short little stint where he tried to run for president in uh, 2012. Yeah, you know, I know you're a young lady, Sasha, but I mean that wasn't that long ago. He even decided to run. This is before any of really our modern times. If you look at the news, Donald Trump is everywhere. This is before he really was. And so now looking at this prophecy, it's like, wow, what is God really saying through this? And when yeah, I- God isn't saying anything through it because it's factually demonstrable that this is a false prophecy. You hear what Mark Taylor had to say, yeah. <clears throat> what the Lord told him. In yeah, two- what the Lord told him. All right, well, let's hear what the Lord told him, man. 2011, and what we're currently dealing with, it's going to shock you. Yeah. But you- No, what's shocking me is that you think that this is a true prophecy. Of an article from Rick Wiles' True News' website. Can you read that for us? I can. It says... All right, so here it comes from the True News website. God's man, firefighter shares 2011 vision of President Trump. It says, retired firefighter Mark Taylor says God showed him in 2011 that Donald Trump would become president of the United States. Taylor's statements were made during an exclusive interview with Rick Wiles of True News while sharing his prophetic visions publicly for the first time. Taylor said he received God's word about Donald Trump on April 28, 2011 while watching an interview featuring the New York billionaire. While Trump was speaking, Taylor heard the Lord say to him that he was listening to a president. At the time, Trump was considering a presidential run and was also campaigning strongly for the release of Barack So this is True News' summary of the prophecy. Obama's birth certificate, though he ultimately decided against running for the GOP nomination in 2012, Taylor believes his appearance in the 2016 campaign is God-ordained. Wow. Now you can actually go and listen <clears throat> to the entire interview at truenewstrunews.com with Rick Wiles. Yeah, based on what I'm hearing here, that, that um, website is misnamed. should be titled False News. What I want to do on today's program is I want to read to you yeah. the message that Mark Taylor says that God shared with him five years ago. Yeah, please do. So we've had this, the prophecy summarized by Andrew, and now, Zach, you need to read the prophecy so that we can test it according to Deuteronomy 18 to determine if um, this Taylor guy is a legit prophet or if he is a false prophet, and this is a false prophecy. In 2011, about Donald J. Trump being the president of the United States. Are you ready for this? Here- All right, I'm ready. I'm sitting down, man. Go ahead. Say it out, man. This is his message from the Lord. The Spirit of God says, I have chosen this man, Donald Trump, for such a time as this. For as Benjamin Netanyahu is to Israel, so shall this man be to the United States of America. Oh, man. You sure that's from God? 
I will use this man to bring honor, respect, and restoration to America. America will be respected once again as the most powerful and prosperous nation on the earth other than Israel. The dollar will be the strongest it has ever been in the history of the United States and will once again be the currency by which all others are judged. The Spirit of God says the enemy will quake and shake and fear this man I have anointed. They will even quake and shit. So Donald Trump is now one of God's anointed. That would make him a Christos or a Messiah. Yeah, that's what those words mean. When he announces he is running for president. This was in 2011. It will be like the shot heard across the world. The enemy will say, what shall we do now? This man knows all our tricks and schemes. We have been robbing America for decades. What shall we do to stop this? The spirit says, ha, no one shall stop this that I have started. For the enemy has stolen from America what decades and it stops now. For I will use this man to reap the harvest that the United States has sown for and plunder for the enemy which he has stolen and returned it sevenfold to the United States. The enemy will say, Israel, Israel, what about Israel? For Israel will be protected by America once again. The spirit says, yes, America will once again stand hand in hand with Israel and the two shall be as one. For the ties between Israel and America will be stronger than ever and Israel will flourish like never before. The Spirit of God says, I will protect America and Israel, for this next president will be a man of his word. When he speaks, the world will listen and know that there is something greater in him than all the others before him. This man's word is his bond, and the world and America will know this, and the enemy will fear this. For this man will be fearless. The Spirit says, when the financial harvest begins, so shall it parallel in the spiritual for America. The Spirit of God says, in this next election, they will spend billions to keep this president in. It will be like flushing their money down the toilet. Uh, Yeah, did you catch that little part there? They will spend billions to keep this president in. Which president is that referring to? Yeah, that would be Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. Um, This prophecy that Zach is reading here. Um, is literally claiming from the word of the Lord that Donald Trump uh, is going to be the president and that he's going to unseat Barack Obama. Uh Uh-huh. Barack Obama is done. Constitutionally, he's finished. His terms in office are over. And Donald Trump, they're, they're not spending billions to keep Obama in office. That makes this a... False prophecy. It again, this is not very difficult. Okay, two plus two equals four. If somebody prophesies according to Deuteronomy 18, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, verse 22, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. So in the midst of this great prophecy regarding Donald Trump and uh, and Israel and the United States and the finances of the world walking hand in hand down the primrose path to prosperity and spiritual magnitudes or platitudes, I don't know what, but in the midst of us, there's, while this, well, subordinate prophecy clause in there that that they were going to spend billions to keep Obama in office, but it would avail them not. Barack Obama won the 2012 election. 
waste their money for it comes from and it is being used by evil forces at work, but they will not succeed for this next election will be a clean sweep for the man I have chosen. He has chosen. Wow. This is a startling word. They know what's startling is you can't see the obvious two plus two does not equal 22. This is a false prophecy you're holding in your hand and reading out. Say things about this man, the enemy will, but it will not affect him. And they shall say it rolls off him like the duck. For as the feathers of a duck protect it, so shall my feathers protect this next president. Even mainstream, my goodness, this is crazy. Even mainstream news media will be captivated by this man and the abilities that I have gifted him with. And they will even begin to agree with him, says the Spirit of God. This is the word given to Mark Taylor in 2011 about Donald J. Trump being the next president of the United States of America. Wow. Yeah, and at the time, that prophecy which claimed to come from God, was making it clear that he, Donald Trump was going to unseat Barack Obama and they were going to spend billions to re-elect Obama uh, to no avail. That makes this a false prophecy. What's amazing and astounding is that Zach Drew, who should know better, thinks that this is an amazing prophecy. When all it is, you know, in, I mean, seriously, that all it is is a false prophecy. Yeah, it's, it's just unbelievable. What do you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Tabner Smith is going to explain to us a direct revelation regarding the spirit of religion while falsely teaching about the Trinity and Bill Johnson telling a half-truth about the NAR. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> to the Wallace Tapley Show. I'm your host, Wallace Tapley, and my official title is the only mostly accurate prophet of the end times. Uh, some of my competitors call me the second and two-tenths weasel of the apocalypse, but I do my best to ignore their comments of hate and derision. I, I do have an update this week. 
Ah, yes. Uh, my direct revelations from God this week have told me something very, very special. It should be coming in right about now. Oh, this is a goodie. It reads, This blessing is for a certain person who's currently living in Italy and is the owner of a bistro. It says that you'll be receiving one million euros. Uh, make that 500,000. Uh, 10,000. Five. Oh, um, yes. You're receiving five euros today. Heaven be praised. Oh, it seems that I'm getting another download. I do believe that it's the result of next year's Super Bowl. Uh, this could turn out to be very profitable indeed. It says the winner of the next year's Super Bowl will be the Chicago Cubs. No, wait, that's not right. Uh, I mean the L.A. Lakers. No, that's not right either. I, I, I do apologize, folks. My computer suffers from Plato's tenfold error syndrome from time to time. Oh, here we go. It says... Handshake error. Well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. See you next time on the Wallace Tapley Show. Goodbye! This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that 2 plus 2 does not equal 22. And that factually false prophecies are just that, false prophecies. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons right there in the middle of the homepage. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to, well, you have to um, pick an amount that you get to contribute on a monthly basis. There's four, uh, well, ranks in our crew, if you would. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then after that, Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. So, If you'd like to join our crew, that's a great way to support us. But if you would like to just make a one-time contribution, you can specify the amount by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, we have a vision casting leader update, and that requires us to do... This. No, I'll count a bit. 
that's right. Los Lobos Ministry Records and uh, their rendition of Foreigner's Double Vision. Uh, they we've twisted it up if you if you would, and now it's all about casting vision. So uh, what we're going to be doing is we're heading over to Venue Church, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Tavner Smith. As he is in the middle of a teaching, you ever sat through a sermon where, you know, you're basically instructed that what you need to do, the thing you really need to do is you need to basically give the the, the driver's wheel of your life to Jesus. You know, it's kind of like that song, Jesus, take the wheel kind of thing. And and so the idea here is that if G, if you got Jesus in the passenger seat or or worse, in the back seat of the car of your life, I mean, that that's a bad thing. So that's what he's teaching on, if you would, preaching on. We'll hear a little bit of the context, and then he's going to go into some kind of weird bunny trail about, you know, how the Lord has revealed to him that there are people who have demons. Yeah, demons of a religious spirit. Yeah, those would be the people like me, apparently, who uh, point out the fact that Tavner Smith is a false teacher. And then he immediately goes into a little interesting little teaching that is false teaching regarding the doctrine of the Trinity. No joke. I wish I was making that up. Here's Tavner Smith. It all seems kind of convoluted, but that's the setup. Here we go. I just described most people's life in here when it comes to their relationship with God. The reason you have such a grip on your life and won't let go and let him have control and, and let him drive the wheel and let him lead you in areas of your life is because you don't trust him. Okay, so I, the reason I won't let God take the wheel... It's because I don't trust him. All right. I feel terrible about myself now. And it's not an indictment on you. It doesn't mean you're a... Well, actually, it is an indictment. A bad person because you don't... Actually, that would make me a bad person if I'm in charge of my life when I should be giving the wheel to Jesus. That would mean I am a bad person. That would mean I'm sinning, you know? Don't trust him. Here's what it means. It means that he has been introduced to you in an incorrect way and you don't even know him. Oh, no. So I've been falsely introduced to a false Jesus. Otherwise, if I was introduced to the right Jesus, I would say, Hi, Jesus. It's so great to meet you. Let me take you over to the car of my life. You see that right there? That's the driver's seat. Why don't you go ahead and make yourself comfortable? I'll hop in. We'll, uh, I'm calling shotgun. So let's go, Jesus. So if I was introduced to the right Jesus, that's how that would go. Okay. And the fact that you don't know who he really is leaves areas in your life where you don't know if you can trust him. And so now you're always backseat driving God in your life and you live afraid. Uh-huh. But here's what I'm here to do today in this series. I'm here to try to get you to operate politically correct in the kingdom. Okay. It means you got to get yourself out of the driver's seat and you have to put God on the throne where he belongs in your life. <laughs> uh, that seems like a little bit of a mixing of metaphors. Um, yeah, in the pirate Christian radio mobile, there is a driver's seat. But I assure you, there is no throne. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying. It's not about who sits in the White House. It's who sits on the throne in your life. While in the driver's seat. That makes things politically correct. Right, okay. Now, I want to read you a verse. Please do. Because I understand that most of us know a version of God. Would you agree with that? And most of you know the version of God that somebody taught you or that you made up yourself. 
Okay, so apparently I was taught idolatry or I made up my own God and I'm an idolater. That, by the way, is the sin of idolatry. Right. And I was thinking about uh, this and I, I have so many crazy thoughts when I'm trying to come up with a message. And there's so many things I just want to say. I wish I had three hours. I could offend everybody. Yeah, offending people really isn't the goal of preaching. Yeah, I'm just saying. But I have to choose who I offend every week because I only have 40 minutes. I don't do it to be mean. You have to offend something to move forward. <laughs> you have to offend something to move forward. Well, you know, offend the, uh, the cow out in the pasture over there. Yeah. Are you with me? No. There's no moving forward without confrontation. Your car doesn't move unless the tire confronts the road. <laughs> Never thought of that confrontation there. Whoa. That just like changes everything about how I view driving vehicles, you know. A bunch of confrontation going on out there. Okay? So I'm not offending it to be mean or smart at like I'm offending it to move you forward because the Lord showed me something. All right, so notice he just played the direct revelation card. Let me back it up so you can hear it again. To move you forward because the Lord showed me something. All right, so the Lord showed him this. What's coming now is direct revelation from God. The Lord showed me how that people don't have the correct knowledge of him and can't trust him because they are controlled and by the spirit of religion. Ah, uh-huh. so there you go. Direct revelation from God. The prophet Tabner Smith is now... He received revelation from God regarding the religious spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know why he has to claim direct revelation? Yeah, the reason he has to claim direct revelation is due to the fact that, well, um, <laughs> he um, <clears throat> can't find this in the Bible. Not really. No, not what he's about to say. Now, this comes to our second test for a false prophet, by the way. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, well, that dreamer, uh, that, that, uh, um, that dreamer of dreams you shall not listen to, uh, for the Lord your God is testing to know whether or not you love the Lord your God. So, yeah, so here's the idea here. He's claiming he's received direct revelation from God. But now we've got to do, go employ the second test. If he's having a, if, well, follow after a different God. Yep, that's, um, you yeah, know, that's the other test here. So is he teaching false doctrine? Is he teaching a false God? You know, a, a false theology about God. And here's the irony. Tavner Smith here, no joke, you're going to hear him as he expounds on this direct revelation he received from the Lord regarding the demon of the religious spirit that oppresses people, and then he's going to go on and teach about the Trinity. And in teaching the Trinity, he's actually going to teach heresy, which makes it so that he's running afoul of Deuteronomy 13, which means he's failing as a prophet. In fact, he is a false prophet as a result of it. It's like mind-numbingly bizarre. We continue. And I noticed something. I noticed how that Jesus, if you read about him, could speak to somebody and in a moment he could deliver them from a demon. Remember? Yeah, I do recall Jesus casting out demons. 
But he spent his entire life and couldn't get religion off the Pharisees. Uh-oh, he couldn't get religion off the Pharisees. It's weird because there were Pharisees who ended up trusting in Christ and becoming penitent believers in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Is it because religion is stronger than Jesus? No. It's because he was able to cast the demon out because it possessed the person. Oh, yeah. See, if it possesses you, Jesus can get rid of it. But the spirit of religion is not a possession in you. Oh, okay. The spirit of religion is an oppression of you. Oh, yeah. That's why Jesus couldn't you know, get rid of those oppressive demons of, of religion because they oppress rather than possess. If only they would have possessed the Pharisees, then Jesus would have been able to set them free. R- right, yeah. No biblical text says this. And so you are not possessed by the spirit of religion. You are oppressed by the spirit of religion. And he claims God told this to him, yeah. And I can't cast off an oppression. You have to break it off yourself. And so the reason that he couldn't deliver them from religion is because they were never willing to take the information he gave them and break it off of their own lives. Oh, if only they would have been willing to break off the oppression because Jesus can't actually... Do that for you, yeah. Do you not remember every time Jesus came up to a Pharisee, he never walked by without saying anything? He always offended them? Uh, yeah, it's not like Jesus, you know, hey, look, hey, look, guys, there's a Pharisee over there. Let me walk by and see if I can offend him. Uh, yeah, and Jesus never actually set out to purposely offend the Pharisees that way. He did offend them by the truth that he spoke, and quite bluntly, but, yeah, you're not actually accurately portraying Jesus' actions and interactions with the Pharisees there. Every single time. Why? Because it's not until he offended them that it would get them thinking in a way that might have them confront the demon that's oppressing them. And what? And yet no biblical text talks about the demon oppression of religious spirits. What I'm telling you is this. Whether you know it or not, and it doesn't mean you're bad, it's because of the place we grew up in in Chattanooga, most of you are oppressed by a demon called the spirit of religion. Uh-oh, there's a whole lot of people right there at Venue Church experiencing demonic oppression. Jesus can't even break that. Oh, no, but you can. All you have to do is make the decision. And it doesn't mean that you're bad or anything like that. It means you grew up under false teaching. And I can't... Which is weird because this is going to be really weird. The pot calling the kettle black. can't lay hands on you and anoint you with oil and get it off of you. You have to decide to move out from under it yourself. You have to decide to change your thought process. You have to decide to do something different. Which is why I come to you every single week and I give you information that most of you have never heard before. And then I get talked about as a false preacher. Yeah, actually, the reason why is because you twist God's word and claim to have direct revelation from God. It's the, yes, the ideas, the new ideas you're teaching, they are new ideas because they're not taught in Scripture, and the church hasn't historically taught these things. And so it's okay for all these hillbilly leaders that have been in your life, your whole life, teaching you half of the truth and oppressing you with the spirit of religion. They're okay, but if somebody teaches you the truth, he's a false teacher? Well, actually, what makes you a false teacher is that you're not teaching the truth. We'll explain more in a minute. How does that make any sense? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense because you are blind to the fact you're a false teacher and a false prophet. That doesn't make any sense to me. Why wouldn't we celebrate the guy who gave you the truth to get free? 
Um, you mean you? <laughs> Sorry, you're not the one speaking the truth. You're speaking the lies. And so today I needed to give you some truth because if you are going to trust God and put him in the right seat in your life, you have to know who he is in order to trust him. And the truth is this. Can I offend you? Most of you know of God, but you don't really know him. Okay, so you're making the claim these people really don't know God. What's your proof for that? Now, here's the other thing. Are you ready for this? If we're going to put God in the correct seat in our life, it means we have to free three seats, not just one. Uh, Okay. Whoa. Consider my mind blown. Now, this is where he's going to launch into a talk regarding the Trinity. So apparently... Yeah, if your car of your life has only one driver's seat, well, <laughs> you ain't doing it right. You need three driver's seats because of the doctrine of the Trinity. But watch <laughs> what he does here. It's, it's so bad. Some of you have grown up in church before and you've heard this term called the Trinity. Yep. It means that God is three in one. Um, it means that there's one God uh, who, well, exists eternally in three persons. And I know you're confused. I thought it was just one God. Well, there is one God, but there's three dimensions of that one God. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> dimensions is a false way to speak about the Trinity. And I'll give you a kind of a physical analogy to help you figure it out. And if, listen, please. It is not a powerful analogy. It does, not ga- it does not garner everything that needs to be described about him. But it's just an easy way for you to put physical eyes on it, okay? Uh, okay. And my analogy would be this, that if I had a dozen eggs here, and I picked one egg out, and I held it in front of you, how many eggs would I have in my hand? One. No, how many? One. Okay, that, when I said it the second time, that meant you say one, okay? How many? One. Okay. But how many parts are in that one egg? It's got a shell. Yeah. It's got a white. Yep. And it's got a yolk. Yep. Does that make it three eggs? No. I'm going to stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. A heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. Yeah, that's the uh, heresy of partialism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In other words, um, our good buddy here just doesn't actually seem to know what sound doctrine is regarding the doctrine of the Trinity. We continue. So if you take an egg and you do like this and get the, the white out of it and you cook the white and then you cook the yolk separately and then you set the egg on the plate, have you just had a breakfast of three eggs? No, it's one egg. But it has three dimensions that make it up. <laughs> dimensions, yeah. This, again, that's partialism, the heresy of partialism. They all play a part. The egg protects, I mean, the shell protects the egg, the white carries the protein of the egg, and the yolk gives you high cholesterol. You know what I'm talking about, okay? It does something, I'm sure it does. But here's what I'm saying. is It's not a... I don't want you to, to take that and think that sums up all of who God is, but it gives you a physical... Uh, outlook on God who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three separate gods, but he's wrapped up in one God. Uh, (laughs) Three separate gods. Uh Uh-huh. No, that's the heresy of tritheism. Wow. Does that make sense? No. 
Okay? So the problem is, is that when we say let's give God the right seed in our life, we never split him up into three. <laughs> yeah, so he fails the prophecy test of Deuteronomy 13. Man, I just... Wow. You know, I think we've made the point there. I think we should move along. Time for a new apostolic reformation update. That requires us to do this. Chief, mate, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're Pinky. They're Pinky and the brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. They're Pinky and the brain, yes, Pinky and the brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overflow the earth. They're Pinky. They're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. All right. So, as it turns out, there was a recent cover story in Christianity Today regarding, uh, well, popular and controversial Bethel Church. And they interviewed, you know, detractors as well as people at Bethel Church. I think Phil Johnson. Uh, was mentioned in it, and in the uh, in the interview, uh, you know, that was published at uh, Christianity Today, there was an interesting half truth spoken by Phil Johnson, and the implications of what he says are quite obvious. It, there, let's just put it this way: the folks in the New Apostolic Reformation are um, they're well running away, if you would, not quite so proud anymore about trotting out the apostolic title. They do believe that there are living apostles on the earth. And irony here is that um, Bill Johnson of Bethel Church in Redding, California, is supposedly one of the living apostles on the earth. No joke. But um, here's uh, the the, uh, paragraph that I thought was interesting and where the half-truth was spoken by Bill Johnson. Here's what it says. McCurdy and Johnson and other critics believe Bethel to be instrumental in leading some Christians to embrace the tenets of the New Apostolic Reformation, a movement known for dominion theology and a belief in the continuing ministries of apostles and prophets alongside of those evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Yeah, this is their misunderstanding of Ephesians chapter 4, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. Bill Johnson is regularly listed as an NAR leader. He believes in the apostolic and the prophetic ministries, Christianity Today notes, but here's what it says. But says the church does not have any official ties to the NAR. Yeah, and that's what I would consider like a half-truth. And the reason I say that is because if you believe that there are prophets and apostles today and that the mandate of the church is to uh, conquer the seven mountains in order to bring the kingdom of God to earth, then you're part of the new apostolic reformation. But let me ask you this question. 
where is the headquarters, where's the international headquarters for the new apostolic reformation? Where is it? Is it in Tulsa, Oklahoma? Is it in Redding, California? Is it in Sydney, Australia? Is it on the moon? The reason I ask is because there is no official headquarters for the new apostolic reformation. The new apostolic reformation is a network there is no center to this. In fact, you can literally cl- say that it's kind of like a redundant self-healing network of people who believe in the major tenets of the New Apostolic Reformation, you know, this, this apostolic renewal movement, if you would. And that is, is that, the, that there are apostles today conquering the seven mountains, the so-called gospel of the kingdom and things like that. Um, and as a result of it, well, Bill Johnson is one of the living apostles on the earth. How do I know? Well, we're going to go back in time, and we're going to go to the apostolic aligning commissioning ceremony of Todd Bentley, right before the uh, Lakeland Revival, and who was one of the people there to commission apostolically align Todd Bentley and send him off into the earth with their approval? Uh, The apostle Bill Johnson. No joke. So, yeah, so for Bill Johnson to say, well, Bethel Church doesn't have any official ties to the NAR, there, technically there is no church on the earth that has official ties to the NAR because the NAR doesn't have a headquarters. The, the NAR is a descriptive term describing those churches that are part of the network of churches loosely affiliated, quite independent of each other, that believes in, in literal prophets and apostles today and, you know, and, you know, is part of their dominion mandate to go and conquer the seven mountains and things like that. Yeah, I think you get the point. So uh, we won't be using our DeLorean today as we go back in time, although that would be fun. We're going to skip that part today. Let's go because we got a lot of ground to cover in this uh, apostolic commissioning of Todd Bentley we go back in time. Here is C. Peter Wagner uh, from, was it, 2007 when this took place? Here we go. My name is Peter Wagner, and I'm president of Global Harvest Ministries based in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I have served the body of Christ in apostolic ministry for many years, Serve the body of Christ in apostolic ministry. Notice he's claiming he is an apostle. Yeah, no. Go back to the sermon I uh, uh, played earlier in the week on Monday entitled, Who Sent You? Yeah, uh uh-huh. I preside over the International Coalition of Apostles, which brings together over 500 recognized apostles. Yeah, there are no apostles on the earth today, not one of being assigned to preside over this momentous occasion, and I am humbled as I approach the task with an enormous sense of awe. Holy Spirit, I invite your presence, your power, and your direction. Amen? This is a ceremony celebrating the formal apostolic alignment of Todd Bentley. My first desire is to lay a biblical foundation for what we are about to do. I will begin with a scripture that has been a central text for those of us who are in the stream of contemporary apostolic prophetic movement, which is Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Now, before he gets to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, 
Let's look a little bit earlier in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Yeah, and here's what it says, starting at verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Yeah, that's right. The apostolic and prophetic ministries of the Old and New Testament are the foundation of the church. Uh How often do you lay a foundation? Once. And it goes on to say that Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So when we get to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. Understand this. There are no longer prophets and apostles today. Nope. The apostolic and prophetic ministries have that have served their purposes in the church, at least with the ones who held those office, but they continue to dispense the duties of their office through the written word of God. And so today we are te- we are students of the prophets and we are students of the apostles. The apostles are still teaching in the church today through the w- written word of God. So are the prophets. They are the foundation. And so God has given apostles and prophets as part of the foundation, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. He's also given evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for the ongoing work of building the church on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And no one today actually meets the qualifications of an apostle. Nope. Nobody. Not one single person. There are no new apostles. So C. Peter Wagner is claiming here that he's building a biblical foundation for the apostles. Uh, today's modern-day apostles, there are none. Literally none. This is a twisting and a deceiving. And he himself, that is Jesus at his ascension, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The word equipping is a translation of the Greek katartizo, which means literally aligning, as in setting a broken bone or a chiropractic adjustment. Um, wow, that's quite an interesting thing that he's doing there with the word equipping. Yeah, he's right about the fact that it, you know, katartizmo is the uh, is the word itself, but this. <laughs> By saying it literally means an aligning, well, that's kind of like talking about its etymological uh, pieces of it and what it supposedly means etymologically. The question is, what does the word mean in the context in which it appears here? So it means to equip, um, yeah, to train, to discipline. Yeah, that's what it means. Breaking it up into its component parts and saying that it means to align, although it has some relation to the word, uh, you know, chiropractic, is not is not actually accurately describing what's going on with the definition of this word in its context. Uh, you know, the prophets and the apostles and the teachers and the evangelists do not um, you know, align people; they equip them and build them up. It means putting things in order so that the body functions as it was designed to function. This is one of the responsibilities of of apostles, such as those whom you see on the platform. 
So notice, see Peter Wagner here has made a point that there are apostles on the platform there at Todd Bentley's Apostolic Aligning Commissioning Ceremony. That is the reason we are present tonight. For example, Paul wrote to Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking. Speaking of Paul and Titus, their relationship is a biblical prototype of apostolic alignment. What? Would apply to Paul and Timothy. The apostolic alignment of Timothy and Titus with Paul was a principal factor in allowing God to develop and fulfill his complete destiny in both of their lives. Oh, if it wasn't for that apostolic alignment, he, Timothy would have never been able to achieve his divine destiny. Again, false doctrine. But Paul himself was also apostolically aligned. Soon after, he was called to join Barnabas and his colleagues in Antioch for the then controversial ministry of planting churches among Gentiles. He traveled to Jerusalem to bring a gift for famine relief and also to align with some of the apostles. I want to use the experience that Paul had on that occasion as the text for the protocol for tonight's alignment and commissioning of Todd Bentley. It is found in Galatians 2.9, which tells the story of one of Paul's visits to Jerusalem. It says, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Todd is following Paul's example by inviting to the platform three apostolic pillars of today's church. Cheon of Pasadena, California. Bill Johnson of Redding, California. Did you catch that? Uh, Bill Johnson of Redding, California is one of the apostles, apostolic pillars on the stage. Cheon, Bill Johnson. Yet, does it sound to you like Bill Johnson and therefore, by extension, Redding, uh, you know, Bethel Church in Redding may have some official connections with the new apostolic reformation by virtue of the fact that Bill Johnson is an apostolic pillar? Sounds to me like there would be, you know? Wow. And John Arnott of Toronto, Canada, Todd's native land. They represent an apostolic network called Revival Alliance. Notice that the apostles in Jerusalem perceived the grace that God had given to Paul. The word grace is charis, the root of charisma, meaning spiritual gift or gifts. In Paul's case, it was the gift mix necessary to carry the gospel to Gentiles. In Todd's case, it is the gift mix necessary to lead the Lakeland outpouring. I have a question for the three apostles. Do you... Uh, now, notice again, I have a question for the three apostles. Shayon, Arnott, and Bill Johnson. Perceive the grace of God given to Todd Bentley as an evangelist to lead the Lakeland outpouring... And they all nod in approval, including Bill Johnson. Does it sound like he's a, 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 he might have some official t 
ties to the new apostolic reformation to you? Hmm. We continue. I have a question for Todd Bentley. Do you recognize the apostolic authority of these three men in your life and ministry? And do you desire to establish an apostolic alignment with them and with Revival Alliance? Mm-hmm. So Todd Bentley wants to, uh, he recognizes uh, Bill Johnson, Shayon, and Arnott as apostles, and he wants to make an official alignment with their apostolic ally- alliance. Sounds to me like, well, you know, Bill Johnson is officially connected with the NAR, and by extension, so would Bethel, don't you think? With this affirmation, we will move to a formal commissioning, equivalent to offering the right hand of fellowship, as the three apostles did to Paul in Jerusalem. This commissioning represents a powerful spiritual transaction taking place in the invisible world. A transaction taking place. Wow. In mind, I take the apostolic authority that God has given me, and I decree to Todd Bentley, your power will increase. Your authority will increase. Your favor will increase. Your influence will increase. Your revelation will increase. I also decree... That a new supernatural strength will flow through this ministry. A new life force will penetrate this move of God. Government will be established to set things in their proper order. God will pour out a higher level of discernment to distinguish truth from error. New relationships... Yeah, that never came about, did it? ...will surface to open the gates for the future. Yeah, now that was C. Peter Wagner's uh, declarations. Let's hear the apostle. Again, notice he was claimed to be an apostle by C. Peter Wagner. He was addressed as one of the three apostles on the stage by C. Peter Wagner. And Todd Bentley asked, was asked if he recognized their apostolic authority. And he said yes. This is all done in public, by the way. It turns out this was at the Lakeland Revival itself. So here's the apostle, Bill Johnson, um, speaking over Todd Bentley, who by this time uh, in the uh, commissioning aligning ceremony was on the floor soaking in the glory. Here we go. When David wanted Uriah killed, he sent him into battle and then withdrew from him. As a company of people, we refuse to do that. Many revivals through history have been cut short of their intention of God's destiny and intention over individuals because of jealousies and fears that get stirred up in the people of God. Well, in this case, it was cut short because of lust and adultery. Refuse to do that. We shape the course of history by partnering with you, giving honor where it's due. You welcome the glory as well as anybody I've ever seen in my life. I long to learn from you in that. And I bless you and I pray with the rest of these that the measure of glory would increase, that Moses would no longer be considered the high watermark 
where the glory shone from his face, but instead the revelation of the goodness of God would change the face of the church, and that he would use your voice, he would use your grace, your anointing, to alter the face of the church before this world, that the goodness of the Lord would be seen once again. I pray this over you in Jesus' name. Yeah, so there you go. You know, uh, that's Bill Johnson literally praying that uh, Moses would no longer be the high water mark in uh, in church history, if you would, when it comes to the glory of God. All I can say to that is, wow, boy, that didn't turn out, did it? But there you go. Um, see Peter Wagner recognizing Bill Johnson as a living apostle. He was one of the three official apostles present at the commissioning of Todd Bentley. Todd Bentley recognized him publicly as an apostle. Would you think that Bill Johnson has any official ties whatsoever? You know, the Apostolic Alliance. Does he have any official connections to the NAR? And by extension, does Bethel? Answer, you bet you bippy there are official connections. But the problem is, is that the NAR really isn't an organization. It's a network. So he told a half-truth. Uh, which ends up being a whole lie. Fascinating that he would do that. I wonder why he would. Hmm, maybe it's because when you Google NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, you know, the number, the, the, the major hits that come up in the first few pages all are pointing to the heresies and false doctrines and false teachings and false claims of those within the movement, including Bill Johnson. What do you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pyre Christian. Quick break when we come back, heading back down to the Presence Conference as we listen to Jay John give an evangelistic sermon that's high on production value. Not so much on sound doctrine. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... <laughs> You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. 
I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the President's Conference, J. John, presiding of the Anglican Church. And uh, I chose this one, well, because it's actually difficult. I've been sitting on it for a couple of weeks, trying to figure out how to weave it into a whole program with this theme, but it didn't work. So we decided to go ahead and just work it by itself. But here's the idea. Imagine... You think that, well, the President's Conference and Phil Pringle and guys like that are just the bee's knees. And you saw that the President's Conference, that they were really making a big push to get people to bring their unsaved friends to the President's Conference on the night that J. John preached this sermon. And just ask yourself, were they brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? Jesus says... In Luke 24, thus it is written, this is verse 46, thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So as good of a speaker as J. John is, and there are few that are better, I mean seriously, few are better than him, he's that good. Just ask yourself, were people convicted of their sins? and brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That's all we're going to answer as we listen to this brilliantly presented, wonderfully entertaining evangelistic sermon. Let me back off on the music. Here's Jay John. Here we go. Thank you. Thank you. Please be seated. Wow. Good evening to you. Good evening if you're tuned in. Good evening to all my staff in England who are tuned in. Get back to work. (laughs) 
Wow. What a week we've had. Hasn't it been amazing? Absolutely. That, that Samuel Rodriguez, my word, eh? You know, there are some speakers that are kind of like decaf coffee. And then others are a bit like coffee. And he's like triple espresso, isn't he? That whole thing about the mantle. I was, I was late. Yeah, that whole thing about the mantle from Samuel Rodriguez. False doctrine, false teaching on the part of Sam there. Hands on myself to get the mantle. And then he talked about the mantle and then uh, stop plowing, stop sowing. You know, that's why Hispanics have such a long lunch break. Because they will stop working. Listen, it's been such fun, you know, and for those of us that have been in here for several days, you know, there are different kind of highlights. I know when I go back home to England, people will say to me, J. John, what were the highlights of the conference? And there's all sorts of surprising highlights. I, I found that when Jürgen prayed at that first meeting on Tuesday night, I, I felt something switch on. Something happened. When that lady on the film... You felt something switch on. Uh-huh. Or Josie was telling us about how she got healed of cancer. Whoa! Something happened. There was... When the guy Alex spoke about his story and about going to Bible college, something switched on. Different things switch on in surprising different ways. For four days, many of us have been pulled in so that we can be pushed out. And here we are on the final evening. And again, welcome to you, particularly if you are here for the first time. Pastor Phil has asked me to explain what the message of Christianity is. You know, there are so many people who've got so many misunderstandings about Christianity. And that's why it's very important to be able to put the record straight as to what Christians believe and why we believe it. You know, people often ask me, J. John, what do you do? And it's very difficult to know what to say. Because if I say to them that I'm a reverend, which I am, that conjures up images in people's minds as to what I might be like. Now All right, notice that he is, his job is to explain what it is that c Christians believe and why. Okay. If I tell them that I'm a canon in the Church of England, they're like, well, what does that mean? You know, so I like to be a little bit creative in telling people what I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport in London. And I said, hello. And she says, well, hello. And I, I said, where are you going? She says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well... <laughs> I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. 
She said, have you? I said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters and orphanages. We do feeding programs. We've got justice work, reconciliation work, marriage work, education work. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioural alteration. She went, wow, what's it called? I said, it's called the church. Have you heard of it? Okay, so notice his uh, emphasis. The church deals in the area of behavioral modification. Hmm, is that really the primary focus of the church? Behavioral modification. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all that he has commanded. Huh? All right. So a little bit of uh, the emphasis is on the behavioral modification. That would be law rather than gospel. That's what the church does. That's what C3 does. It's a global enterprise Helping people to be who they were always created to be. Ah, so that's what Christianity is about. Helping people be all that they were created to be. Wow. Is that the message of Christianity? Answer, no. That's the message of the New Apostolic Reformation. Not Christianity. One of my favorite stories is the story of the family who just acquired this new little kitten. And they were trying to give the kitten a bit of confidence. So they put the kitten up a tree and it ran up the tree, but it slipped off the branch. But it managed to hang on to the branch. But because it was a little kitten, it didn't have the body weight to flick itself back up onto the tree. Now, because of all the branches, they couldn't quite get to the little kitten. The father was a pastor. He always came up with great ideas. He says, I know what to do. I'm going to get my car. I'm going to get a rope. I'll tie the rope round the tree. I'll tie it on the car. I'll get in the car. I'll drive a bit. That'll bring down the big branch. We'll be able to get the little pussycat down. Everyone said, Daddy, to the rescue. So, Daddy gets the car, gets the rope, ties the rope round the tree, ties it on the car, gets in the car, begins to drive. Slowly, slowly, the tree's bending, bending. The car's moving, the tree's bending, the rope snapped. <laughs> As the rope snapped, the tree flung back, the pussycat went flying out in the opposite direction. That's the end of the story. Not every story has a happy ending. Two weeks later. The pastor was visiting a member of his congregation. He knocked on the door, the door opened, the lady said, Pastor, come in. He walks in. There in the hallway was his little kitten. <laughs> now, he didn't want to say, that's my little kitten. So he said, that's a lovely little kitten you've got. Have you had her long? She said, Pastor, you are not going to believe this. 
It was two weeks ago. It was a hot, sunny Saturday afternoon. And I was in my garden with my little son, Johnny. And Johnny said, Mummy, please, can we have a kitten? I said, no. We've discussed this before. We are not going to have a cat in this house. Pastor, he pestered me and pestered me. The only thing I could think of doing was to say, I tell you what, Johnny, let's kneel down here in the garden. We'll pray to the Lord Jesus. And if the Lord Jesus wants you to have a kitten, he'll send you a kitten. Pastor. You are not going to believe this. When we pray, coincidences happen. And when we don't, they don't. Repeat that. When we pray, coincidences happen. And when we don't, they don't. Um, that was a joke, right? And now you're making a theological statement from an anecdotal funny story that you've told? Hmm. Where in the Bible does it say when you pray, coincidences happen? So I want you now, all of you here, all of you who are tuned in on the web, just close your eyes. Whether you know Jesus, whether you don't know Jesus, I'm going to ask all of you to say a prayer. For some of you, it's a prayer of faith. For some of you, you know that prayer is going to work. But I want you to pray your own prayer, even if you have no faith. And just say, okay God, I'm listening. Okay, so the prayer is, okay God, I'm listening. Will they hear Christ crucified for their sins? with an explanation as to really what sin is and what Christ accomplished for the cr- on the cross for them, will they be called to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus alone for their salvation? That's the question I have. We ask that you will illuminate our minds and you will illuminate our hearts and give us understanding We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why why am I a Christian? Why are many of us here Christians? Um, Because Jesus raised me from the grave through the preaching of the gospel. You know, something like that, you know. I want to talk about something along those lines. Some of you here have been invited this evening. You're here. You may not consider yourself... Uh, uh, an active, practicing Christian. You may even be an agnostic. You may be of another philosophy, another persuasion. And you're amongst the company of many, many Christians. And maybe you're wondering, what is it about these Christians? You know, why are we Christians? I, I want to answer that question for you tonight. The first reason why I am a Christian is because Christianity is true. Now, it is absolutely correct that Christianity is true. So, I mean, this is absolutely a perfectly legitimate point. Let's see how he develops it. That is a pretty good reason. It actually is true. There's a a very famous verse in the Bible. 
located in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All right. So John 3.16, perfectly good gospel text. Wonderful gospel text, Um, which kind of begs the question, what does it mean to perish? But how does that demonstrate that Christianity is true? So it starts with, for God. Now, God, G-O-D, what does that mean? Now, that means different things to different people. When the first Russian astronaut returned from space, first interview, first question, did you see God? He said, no, I did not. And the Soviet Union heralded this as proof that God did not exist. When the first American astronaut returned from space, first interview, fourth question, did you see God? He said, I would have seen God had I stepped out of my spacesuit. Great joke. How does that demonstrate that Christianity is true? Two completely different understandings of the word God. I I went to speak at one university and... No, actually, both the Russian and the American both had the same concept of God. Yeah, it's just that the Russian doesn't believe that God exists. He was part of an atheistic, uh, you know, ideological regime at at the time, you know? student said to me, I cannot believe in anything I don't understand. I said, really? He said, yes. I said, what are you studying? He said, agriculture. I said, well, tell me this, how is it possible for a black cow to eat green grass and produce white milk? (laughs) There is a lot of things we don't understand. Yeah, that's true. How does this prove Christianity is true? I went to speak at McGill University in Canada. And uh, the lecture theatre was, I mean, we are talking, it was the largest lecture theatre in the university. It was jammed. And when I was introduced, I literally had to climb over people to get to the the lectern. As I'm walking to the lectern, this girl stands up and shouts out, science has disproved it all. I hadn't even said hello. And about 1,000 pairs of eyes looked at her, then they looked at me, then they looked at her, then they looked at me. It was like tennis. (laughs) So this is how I started. So I said, really? She said, yes. I said, okay, listen, I've been given one hour to give a lecture today. So I tell you what I'm going to do because I'm a very generous person. I'm going to give you 30 minutes of my 60-minute lecture You can have the first 30 minutes, you speak first, and then I'll respond to you. Come on down, girl. (laughs) Come on, come on. Bit of pressure there, eh? She came, she started to talk. It only took three minutes for everybody there to realise she didn't know much about science. She knew less about proof, and she was at an absolute loss to explain what all was. She didn't know what all was. She had no clue. 
You know, there's a lot of people who think that Christians don't think. And they think that Christians don't think because Christians don't think like they think. They think we don't think at all. (laughs) But we do. Okay, um, but how does that prove that Christianity is true? Yeah, okay. The problem is, many people are asking the wrong questions. If you ask the wrong question, you can never get the right answer. The right question to ask is, has God spoken? Yeah, Yeah, he has. God has spoken. God spoke in creation. God has spoken throughout history in many, many different ways. But God's greatest revelation of himself for all people, for all cultures, for all times, was in Jesus Christ. True. Good statement. It was in Jesus Christ. Now, here's a very, very good question. How do we know he's the one? Now, that's a good question. Yeah, it is. You know, but you notice you really didn't answer your first question yet? You know, he's the one. Listen, the Bible... And what do you mean by he's the one? It's kind of an open-ended, you know, description, you know? Okay, it's got two testaments. Old Testament, New Testament. The Old Testament begins with a book called Genesis. It ends with a book called Malachi. The, the New Testament ends with a book, uh, starts with a book called Matthew, ends with a book called Revelation. From the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, there are 500 years of silence when God does not speak and nothing is recorded. In the Old Testament of the Bible are what are called prophecies about the arrival of the King of Heaven on earth. These prophecies tell you where he's going to be born, how he's going to be born, how he's going to grow up. Now this is true. So he's making an allusion to the prophecies, mentioning them and describing them without actually giving any. What he's going to say, how he's going to say it and how he's going to die. Okay? There are 322 of them. Okay. They were written over several thousands of years. You've then got a 500-year gap. Yeah. Do you know what the mathematical compound probability is of 322 prophecies being fulfilled in one man at one moment in time? Do you know what it is? One over 84 with 100 zeros. In other words, it doesn't happen every day. <laughs> right. Now... You, you're mentioning the statistical probability of these prophecies, making allusion to them without actually reading any, any of them. You see, Scripture says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Thus far, we've heard one verse of Scripture, John 3.16. Yeah, you see, God's word is what brings people from death to life, the proclamation of law and gospel, and the preaching of Christ crucified for our sins is the means by which God, well, one of the means by which God regenerates people. But here, it's as if you believe, J. John, regeneration is the power of God through your 
funny stories. You know, getting people to laugh, keeping them entertained. This isn't what brings people to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That's a work of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the Word. You know, people say, why are you, why am I a Christian? Because it's true. Well, you know, what do you think? You think I threw my brains away? Not only that, Christianity isn't just based on the fact that he fulfilled the 322 prophecies. It's not just based on his life and his teaching. It's not just based on his death. It's based on his resurrection. Again, true. Yeah, fulfilled prophecy and the resurrection are standard apologetic means by which we demonstrate the veracity of of the Christian claims. See what he does with it. Resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus authenticates everything that he said and everything that he did. True. If you're walking down a street, you get to the end of the street and it branches into two. You don't know which way to go. Left, right. I don't know. There are two men lying there. One's dead, one's alive. Which one would you ask for directions? Yeah, it's weird. You, you take these two apologetic approach. By the way, these are standard approaches within the school of apologetics known as evidential apologetics, fulfilled prophecy and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's as if those aren't your main points. What's your main point is your punchline, your joke. Very entertaining. Great comedic timing. But the comedic timing is actually interfering with the goal of the sermon, which is evangelism. You see, the reason I'm a Christian is because I'm talking to the founder of Christianity who happened... Isn't the reason you're a Christian is because Christ raised you from the grave and regenerated you through the power of the Holy Spirit? ...to be alive. I tell you, honestly, this sort of stuff, I could talk about it every day. I could talk about it for a whole week. And I, I I wouldn't need to pause... Except for the laugh lines. You pause for the laugh lines, right? I'm a Christian because it's true. Why should you be a Christian? Because it's true. Christianity is true. That's why we should be Christians. And those of us who are Christians, remind yourself and reinforce the truth. It's true. Yeah, Yeah, but you really honestly not giving the real evidence. Am I a Christian? Because it's true. Another reason. Because I need forgiveness. Yeah. yeah, now this is absolutely true. Let's see if he really digs into this. Why should you be a Christian? Because you need forgiveness. Yeah. Do you agree that there are problems in the world today? Do you agree with that? Yeah, we all agree there are problems in the world today. And, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? All the people who know how to solve the world's problems are too busy cutting hair and driving taxi cabs. <laughs> okay, so here you're telling us we all need forgiveness, and then you don't really steer into a, a good, honest discussion of why we need forgiveness you instead go right back to a joke. 
To my hairdresser, it's a shame you're too busy cutting hair. You could be the Prime Minister. <laughs> Do you know, my hairdresser, I noticed her, key, uh, her keys. She just had them in front of me. And on the keys, on her key ring, she had a rabbit's foot. I said, I said to her, why have you got a rabbit's foot on your key ring? Oh, she goes, that's to bring me good luck. I said, the rabbit wasn't lucky. <laughs> Another great joke... But how is this going to bring them to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? How can an unlucky rabbit... <laughs> do you know, and then these are the same people that think we're stupid. <laughs> there was a... A mother, she said to her husband, darling, I need to get on, look after Annie for me, their daughter. The father said, okay. He thought, right, what can he do to occupy his daughter? He's flicking through a magazine, he sees a map of the world. He says, Annie, watch what I'm going to do. He cut the map of the world into small squares, muddled them on the floor. He said, Annie, I want you to put the, the squares back together again, like a jigsaw puzzle, to make the map of the world. When you've done that, come and find me. So he thought, good, that'll keep her busy. Couple of minutes later, she says, Daddy, I've done it. He thought she couldn't have done it. Went to have a look. All the squares were put in exactly the right place. Annie, how did you know where to put all the squares? She said, well, when you were cutting the map out, I looked on the other side. And I saw a picture of a man and a woman. And I thought, if I could put the man and the woman back together again, I could put the world back together again. You see, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Say that to some... How, how does that joke demonstrate that the heart of the human problem is the human heart? Again, great jokes. I mean, a brilliant delivery. Comedic timing is just insanely gifted. I mean, it's almost as if you know, he missed his calling as a stand-up comic. Tomorrow, randomly. <laughs> you know, you're just buying your coffee. Just, just tell the barista, did you know the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart? You see, governments are doing their best. Social agencies are doing their best. Charities are doing their best. Many people are doing their best to alleviate the symptoms. That's good. But unless you deal with the root cause, you're always going to have the symptoms. So the question is, what's the root cause? It's the heart. It's the heart. It's out of the heart that comes the seeds that pollute our lives, our relationships, our families, our communities, our countries, our continents. Let me illustrate. Yeah, now this is true also. All right, but... Notice what he's done here. He asked some really big questions. You know, how do we know Christianity is true? And then he doesn't really answer the question. How do we know Jesus is the one? And then he talks about, you know, makes reference to fulfilled prophecy and the resurrection. But with each point that he makes, he, you know, it, the real punchline is not that Jesus did these things. He turns it into a joke. 
And now we've got another whopper of a question on the table, uh, all under the context of him talking about our need for forgiveness, but he doesn't explain why it is really that we need forgiveness. And now he's trying to kind of steer into it without being too direct. (sighs) Man, will you ever stick to a point and really actually flesh it out? it for you in a slightly different way just imagine you pass out of this life now this is just an analogy (laughs) you woke up in a gigantic theater sitting there on your own in front of you is a huge screen all of a sudden the doors open an angel flies in comes up to you and says welcome to the theater of judgment relax Watch the screen. There on the screen you see your life. Everything you ever did here on earth. Everything you ever thought. And everything you ever said. At the end of the film as you're recovering. The angel comes back and says relax. There's going to be a second showing. All the people who are featured in the film of your life are all waiting outside. We're just going to let them all in to view your life a second time. Go on. How would you feel if your life were judged on that basis? That is exactly how God judges us. In an instant. I don't know about you. Me? I would not want a private viewing, let alone a public viewing. I mean, what? All right. So he's making reference in some way to sin without actually explaining what sin is and what are sins. Just, you know, well, we've all got some kind of existential feeling that we may have done some things that we would be embarrassed about if they were, you know, broadcast on a large screen uh, in a theater uh, for the world to see. But that's not the same thing as actually preaching God's law to convict us of our sins. Film rating would you give your life? <laughs> would it be suitable for family viewing? <laughs> you see... Yeah, boy, they sound really convicted of their sins there, don't they? Man, they are really laughing hard at that. Huh. You see, what a lot of people don't understand, they think you can say what you want, do what you want, it doesn't matter. It does. All that stuff on the film disconnects us from God. And it works a bit like an overdraft in a bank account. If you've got an overdraft and I've got an overdraft, you can't help me, I can't help you. The only one who can help us is someone in credit. All right, so now he's using a metaphor of debt and Jesus paying our debts, which, by the way, is a biblical metaphor for the gospel. You can see it in uh, Colossians chapter 2. For God so loved the world... For God so loved you, for God so loved me, he gave his son. His son came into the world to do something for us. I was doing my... Again, true, very true. 
shopping at a supermarket. I was putting all the shopping onto the conveyor belt, and I noticed that the lady on the conveyor How many stories does this guy have? She had a cross around her neck. I looked at her name tag, Tracy. I said, oh, hello, Tracy. You're a Christian. She said, what? <laughs> I said, you're a Christian. She says, what are you talking about? I said, you've got a cross around your neck. Oh, she says, it's nice. I said, Tracy, it was not nice. It was nasty. <laughs> she looked at me as though I was an alien that had landed from another planet. So while we're doing the food and the, the pricing and all that, I said to her, Tracy, listen to me. If I had an earring here and you said to me, what's your earring? That one there, that's a gas chamber. No. <laughs> Why are you wearing a gas chamber earring? I said, I like to remember how millions of Jewish people died in the Second World War. Then you said to me, what's your other earring? That one there, that's an electric chair. No. <laughs> electric chair. Why? I just want to remember how criminals in the United States used to get executed. I, I said, what would you think of me if I was walking around with an electric chair earring and a gas chamber earring? She said, you've lost it. <laughs> I, said, I said, Tracy, is that because they're symbols of execution? She goes, yeah, yeah. I said, Tracy, what do you think you're wearing around your neck? And there was a moment like that in Tesco's. <laughs> the whole supermarket went quiet. Yeah, it's a stand-up comedy that keeps getting in the way of, like, serious guilt and contrition for sin. And she went, oh. I said, Tracy, you've got to remember, Jesus didn't wear it around his neck. He wore it on his back. Yeah, great applause line, but see, that's kind of the thing. This is all about the theatrics. Jesus came into this world to die on a cross because by dying on a cross, it was as if he was cashing a check signed with his own blood to say, here is the check to clear your overdraft. Okay, that's a perfectly fine way of describing the gospel. It's a biblical way, too, yes. Here is the check to, to set you free. You and I cannot alter the past, but we can bring the past to the altar of Jesus. And be set free. All right, how is that done exactly? There was a famous artist... He went back to the very small rural community where he was... Another story. ...and brought up. He was just walking around some of the, the, the village stores. There was an antique store. He stood outside looking. <gasps> Couldn't believe it. He saw one of his masterpieces. It was a painting that he painted years before he was famous. The frame was broken. The picture was scratched and dirty. But it was his. But he couldn't go in and say, hey, that's my painting. Give it back to me. If he wanted it back, he had to buy it back before he could restore it, reframe it, and clean it. That All right, so this is a redemption metaphor. Again, that's a perfectly legitimate biblical metaphor. But you'll notice none of the gospel metaphors that he's given are from the Bible.
he's explaining the Bible. Uh, he's explaining what Scripture reveals without actually using the Word of God. Hmm. What Jesus did for you and for me. He brought us back. He brought us back to clean us by dying on the cross. You and I are offered forgiveness. For God so loved you and me, he sent Jesus to die for us so that we wouldn't have to perish. We wouldn't have to be distant from him. We wouldn't have to have an overdraft. We wouldn't have this future that has no future. The reason I'm a Christian is because it's true. The reason I'm a Christian is because I need forgiveness. Christianity is true, and yes, you do need forgiveness. The reason I'm a Christian is because Christianity works. Uh, What? It works. In what way? Because we're called to take up our crosses and follow Christ. Somebody's life could actually get really messed up by being a Christian. They might suffer persecution or death as a result of confessing Christ. What do you mean it works? Now, you see, the the word Christian, Christian, has got the word Christ in it. If you remove the word Christ from the word Christian, you're left with I-A-N. Ian isn't going to help you. Now, I'm not saying Ian isn't a nice guy. I didn't say that. I'm sure he's a helpful person. He's just, he might change the tire of your wheel of the car or whatever, but he's not going to change your destiny. You know, there are too many people who kind of call themselves Christians and they've got more in common with Ian than they have with Christ. If you want to be a Christian, you've got to be connected to Christ. Now, just think of your life for a moment like a car. Okay? The car of your life. Just go with this in analogy for a minute. Okay? The car of your life. You- right. Okay. This is going to end up in Tavner Smith's territory. Using that analogy, that metaphor... To be a Christian would mean that Christ is in the car of your life. Now, I know that for many of us here, for many who are listening around the world, you're saying, hey, he's in the car. Whoa, that's good, isn't it? He's in the car. Now, for some of you, you're going, no, I don't think he is. And that... Tonight, one of the reasons we wanted you here is so that you can feel what we believe. Um, what? I'm sure you felt it. Um, felt what? To hear how Christians are making a difference. Um, what does that mean? Through so many incredible charities and people. And three, become one yourself.
become one yourself. So in a few minutes, if you haven't yet invited Jesus into your life, into the car of your life. So the way I become a Christian is by inviting Jesus into my car. Like Jesus is a hitchhiker looking for a ride. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And actually, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to pre-warn you. I'm going to give you five minutes to think about it. I'm going to ask you to stand up to do that. So the way you invite Jesus into your car is by standing up. Okay. Don't be freaked out by that. I'll tell you why in five minutes. For many of us, he's already in the car. So the question is this, where is he? Do you drive your car to church, unlock the boot or the trunk, get Jesus out for a religious happy hour, at the end of the service, get back in there. Others of you are going, no, J. John, he's not in the boot, the trunk. No, he's in the car. Oh, good. Where? On the back seat, a bit of a passenger. You're going, no, J. John, he's in the front. What do you mean? The front passenger seat, a bit of a companion, but he's still a passenger. And you're, you're one step ahead of me now. You're thinking, J. John, we know where you're going with this analogy. You don't, actually. But you think, I'm now going to say, is he in the driving seat of the car of your life? I am. Is he in the driving seat of the car of your life? Now, yeah, but do you have three seats available because of the doctrine of the Trinity? (laughs) Sorry, I had to do that. Every single one of you that thought, yes, he is, I've got one more question for you. Are you a backseat driver? The car gets to a crossroads, Jesus turns right. Where are you going? (laughs) I'm going down the road of forgiveness. I don't want to forgive her. Yeah, many, have you seen my big fat Greek wedding? Yeah. Do you, do you, when the first one came out, I'm Greek. Okay. When the first one came out, friends of mine said, "Jay, John, John, is that what Greek culture's like?" I said, "No, it's worse." <laughs> my great timing on the jokes. Yeah, never really drives home the gospel, though, does he? And apparently now you make you, the way you become a Christian is by you know picking up hitchhiker Jesus and turning the um, the wheel over to him and not being a backseat driver. Got it. Mother, my Greek mother is a travel agent for guilt trips. <laughs> if I want to feel guilty, call my mum. But the Lord has honestly graced me with a love for her now and a forgiveness for her. And, I'm, you know, it's like, it's very easy to say he's in the car, he's in the car, he's in the... You know, here's five good questions. Is he first in your car, first in your life? Is- law. Law. 
first, F-I-R-S-T, ask five questions. Is he first in my finances? Law. Yes. Is he first I in my interests? Law. By the way, there is nobody who is a Christian today who can answer these five questions and say, oh, yeah, absolutely. On all five, I've put Jesus in charge, and I never, ever, you know, sin in any of those areas. R, is he first in my relationships? S, is he first in my schedule? T, is he first in my troubles? If you- yeah, th- that's law, not gospel. You're preaching it as if it's gospel. You say he's first in my finances, interests, relationship, schedule, troubles. That's a pretty good sign. He's in the driving seat. <laughs> and if you can't say yes, 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 that means there's a little red light flashing in your car saying to you, you've got to reposition Jesus. You need to reposition Jesus. Some of you, tonight, what you need to do, before you leave here tonight, the final night of Presence Conference, is that, hey, I I actually do know Jesus. Jesus is in my life. And, And the thing is this, he's in, but he's doing nothing. Because you have totally restricted him. And unless you choose to say, I want to put you in the driving seat of the car of my life, it's not going to happen. And uh, I. So it all depends on you. Do you want Jesus to be in the driving seat? Okay, got it. People who've got him in the car, and when they then get him out of the boot, out of the back seat, and put him in the driving seat, it's as if. They have been born again. Uh, So the way you get born again is by picking up hitchhiker Jesus and putting him into the driver's seat. Some of you tonight... No biblical text says that, by the way. He's in your life, but nothing's happening because you've never really put him in the driving seat. I'm going to ask you to stand up as well. Because for you, this will be a significant new day and new beginning of being a real Christian. So, in a minute, if you've never, if you haven't begun this journey, trust me, please trust me. So notice, by the way, this is called Pelagianism at best. Semi-Pelagianism, well, semi-Pelagianism is at worst, Pelagianism at best. Uh-huh. Decision theology. The decision is to pick up hitchhiker Jesus and then put him in the driving seat of your car. I was an agnostic, atheist agnostic, when I was a student. Didn't believe in God at all. And I, I met Jesus. And when I met Jesus, when I opened the car of my life and let Jesus in, the light came on. My mother said to me, you're brainwashed. I said, mum, my brain has been washed. (laughs) If you only knew, mum, what was in my brain, you'd be pleased it got washed. (laughs) And I'm a Christian still because it works. Because it works. Okay. It works. I'm asking you to stand up. Some of you... You're thinking, goodness, I never expected this tonight. 
I never expected an evening like this. I never expected to feel what I felt. I've ne- I didn't accuse sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique. Expect to feel emotion as I heard those beautiful stories of those wonderful people doing great things. And now that you've heard what it is that makes Christians tick, you're like, oh my word. I don't think I've ever taken this. Uh, notice we're not being convicted of our sins for real. This isn't about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. This is about making the decision to pick up hitchhiker Jesus and put him in the driving seat of your car. Tonight you can do this. Listen, I know it's a big thing for some of you to stand up, but I'm asking you to do it on the final night. I tell you why I'm asking you to stand up. Listen, you know when two people get married, the minister, you know, well, they're out there in the front, aren't they? The minister doesn't say, oh, we've got two people getting married. We don't know where they are. (laughs) You know, I tell you this, it's one of the proudest things you can stand up for. And, And I tell you one reason why I'm asking you to do it. Listen, if you can't stand up here amongst many, many, many thousands of Christians, you'll never be able to stand up out there. So I'm saying stand up in here so that tomorrow you can stand up out there. Yeah, I made you laugh. I made you cry. And now I need you to stand up and pick up Hitchhiker Jesus and put him in control of your life. When you're all standing up that you want to stand, either to receive Jesus for the first time, and those of you to reposition Jesus, I I mean this is a radical recommitment to Jesus. La, 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 la. We got a little dabbing of the gospel. You stand up. If you're tuned in on the web, I want you to stand up. Or kneel or do something a bit different in the next two minutes to what you're currently doing. Yeah, I'm about to turn you off. That's what I'm about to do. And then when you're all standing, I will pray a prayer. I will ask you to pray the prayer. Then I will say a prayer for you. That's it. Close your eyes, please. Even those of you on the web, could you, I know you might be in the middle of something. If you can, just pause for the next two minutes. Okay, we're done. I think you get the point. He's going to lead them in in the, uh, invite Jesus into your car and make him the driver prayer. And then whammo, you know, you, you do that and then you're a Christian, right? Did he preach the law to convict people of their sins? No, he kind of made a, you know, an uncomfortable reference to it. Did he proclaim repentance, the forgiveness of sins? No, not really. He did talk about our need for forgiveness. But man, he could tell a great story, man. It's like he, he I mean, it's like a dentist, you know, who's figured out a way to pull a tooth without you even knowing you. You had the tooth pulled. It's like, what? Well, uh, he's, you know, you're sitting there going, waiting for the pain. It's like, he said, all right, you're done. Whoa, what do you mean I'm done? Yeah, yeah, I already pulled it. What? When did you do that? Yeah. That's how sneaky this guy is. Yeah. But um, were Christians made that night? No, I don't think so. What do you think? 
Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard, this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by Carrie's death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>